Hey, welcome to the podcast, More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm your host for this daily, well, at least five times weekly, Monday through Friday, pause to ponder scripture. This is episode number 252 of More Than Bread. So if you're here for the first time, just kind of joined in because you heard about the Lent series, then I just want to let you know there's a bunch more episodes. I've done a a quick 40-plus episode walk through the whole New Testament another 40 or so through the Gospels of Mark and John. We did 50-plus episodes on the Book of Psalms and a bunch on Paul's letters from prison, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So after Easter, you you might want to check those out. But for now, we are also on episode number two of our Lent series. Now, whether you know very much about it or not, the season of Lent starts with Ash Wednesday, which, among other things, is a It's a reminder of our frailty, the frailty of life and love. In the last episode, I I laid out some of the common themes of Lent, and and one of them is suffering and sacrifice. And and I I wasn't planning on going here already. We'll probably come back to it. But but if you participated in an Ash Wednesday service, the use of ashes reminds us of our mortality. And during an Ash Wednesday service, you may hear the declaration, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the sign of the cross is put in, in on you in, in uh, ashes. That statement comes from the book of Genesis. But if there is any biblical guy who understands suffering and the frailty of life, man, surely it was Job, right? You, you've heard of the suffering of Job. His suffering looms large in God's story. Even though he had extraordinary wealth and was counted among those who are righteous, he was just as vulnerable to tragedy and suffering as anyone else. It's so easy for us to feel this sense of control, especially in America, in our country, our culture. The more stuff we have, the more we can fool ourselves into thinking that we can keep suffering outside our walls, our ability, our our freedom to choose what we will do and where we'll do it and and, and who we'll do it with. Who will marry and where we'll live and how we'll take care of life. All of this leaves us kind of able to ignore suffering, at least for a time. But it's only for a time. I think that's why one of the greatest mental health hardships facing the next generation is that of anxiety and worry. Because we've tried to hold suffering at bay, but sooner or later you begin to realize that you can't hold it away forever. And It's way too easy for us to begin to think that we can force trouble out of our world through our strategies and ingenuities and resources. And it humbles us when we discover that suffering and death are actually part of being human for all humans. No matter how many resources we have, no matter how good our character is, no matter how much God loves us, no matter how much ability in the moment we might have to shape our circumstances, in the end, like Job, We're exposed and vulnerable to trouble, to suffering. Not just like Job, just like Jesus also. Just like Jesus was vulnerable to suffering. Perhaps we might even say he made himself vulnerable to suffering on our behalf. And yet there's hope. (laughs) There's a simple hope found as we look forward to the resurrection. As we look forward to the resurrection, we have this simple and yet profound hope that no matter how hard these days may be, in fact, no matter how good they may be, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Hope is something that we do, but it's also something that we're given. 
And so Peter would write in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul would write in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you up. May the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we are born again to a living hope so that we can abound in hope in good and hard times. And so we prepare for more. We don't prepare for more. We don't prepare for more hope by by keeping suffering away. We prepare for more hope in the midst of our suffering. We prepare for more. That's our overarching theme for our Lent series, preparing for more. So, So my desire in these first few episodes is to simply lay out the theme, set up the theme of preparation. As we head to Easter, we are preparing for more. And and the disciples didn't realize it in those days leading up to the cross and the tomb, those days leading up to the death of Jesus. They they didn't realize that they were preparing for more, that actually in some way, we might say in some strange way, their suffering and their uncertainty was actually part of the preparation. There's this moment between Jesus and his disciples shortly before the cross. We may actually come back to it as we get closer to Easter, but but I want to hit it now as we talk about hope and suffering and preparing for more, even in the midst of suffering. Let me read it. It's a bit long. It's John chapter 16. I'm not reading the whole thing, but parts of it. And I'm reading from the New International Version. This is not long before Jesus goes to the cross. He's with his friends and his followers, and Jesus says this, All of this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Instead, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then down to verse 16, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a while you will see me. And at this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and and then after a little while you'll see me again because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. My words, this is part of our preparing. It it, it seems like it should not be so, but this is actually part of preparing for more. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and then no one will take away your joy. 
In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And then down to verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So imagine this, over 2,000 years ago, the founders and champions of the church, heroes whose stories we've studied and, and lives we've held up, not as perfect, but as models and roadmaps of those passionately following Jesus. These men and women were at the brink of incredible suffering. The whole world is about to get full of uncertainty and difficulty and trouble. The, The fog was moving in and darkness was draining hope and Jesus was in the midst of it. (laughs) Can I say that again before I go any farther? And Jesus was in the midst of it. Jesus is in the midst of your trouble. He didn't duck and run. He wasn't protecting his comfort at his friend's expense. In fact, he was taking the brunt. We we didn't realize it. Those around him did not realize it, but he was actually taking the brunt of the uncertainty upon his shoulders. He was not just in the midst of the trouble. He would end up taking all the troubles of the world into his soul upon his shoulders so that the world could turn towards redemption. So let me just take you back there again, sitting there as you listen. Close your eyes. If you're able, if you're not driving or running, just imagine you're there. It's evening. You're with Jesus and a group of your friends, and you're walking through a vineyard. You don't know it, but Jesus is sharing his last words before he dies on a cross. Most scholars call these four chapters Jesus' farewell discourse, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. I think it's anything but his farewell discourse. These are not last words. They're beginning words, summation words maybe, transition words definitely, but not last words. This is Coach Jesus at halftime of the Super Bowl in the midst of the most important game of your life. This is your favorite teacher at commencement looking you in the eye and saying, you got this. It's your OBGYN doctor saying, push, it's time, push, something new is coming. Jesus is walking with his friends, talking about breakthrough, and in the space of a three-chapter conversation and a one-chapter prayer, he'll hit on multiple themes, but over and over again, he'll say this, you will have trouble, but, you will have trouble, but, (laughs) but, oh my God, I don't say those three words as an epitaph of surprise. I say them as an amazed and delighted child of the Father. Every time God puts a but in the world, in the Bible, it's it's a wonder. It's a U-turn from what I deserve to grace. I mean, the buts of God leave me wild-eyed in wonder. In this world, you will have trouble, but... He starts with trouble. He he comes back to it over and over again. You're going to have trouble. Listen to me. Trouble is coming. It's not uncertain. It's certain. Trouble is coming. The enemy of your souls is coming after you. Sometimes life will come at you harder than you can imagine. Trouble, trouble, trouble. I know there are people out there who will try to tell you that if you just have faith, your life will be pain-free, a comfort-filled exercise in material blessing. All I'm saying is that that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said there's going to be trouble. 
Listen, the coronavirus didn't take him by surprise. Neither did the military coup in Myanmar or the Russian invasion into Ukraine nor the war in Gaza. Your trouble has not taken him by surprise. He, He knows the end from the beginning. And every time we run into him, he's coming back from where we're headed. I realize it seems uncertain to us, but not to him. You will have trouble. But listen again to these words of hope in John 16. I I love reading them. This prepares us for more. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish, the pain, the uncertainty because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. The trouble is not beyond Jesus. Even more importantly, this trouble for you is not wasted pain. It's not frivolous futility. It's not random trouble. It's birth pains. It's a travailing that leads to new life. And in time, grief will be overrun by joy because the best is yet to come. I never get tired of that message. I I rarely have a day that I don't need that message. It's become the title of almost every funeral I do. The best is yet to come. Do you realize how pervasively that message is woven through Scripture? It's all over the place. Uh, This is not the best. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. The best is yet to come. When David writes in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You prepare a table in the midst of my enemies. Your goodness and mercy pursue me. Isn't he saying, listen, the best is yet to come. The apostle John describes in Revelation, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and, and now God will live with his people to hear it. The best is yet to come. Paul's writings are filled with it. Romans 8, all of creation groans in eager expectation for the glory that will be revealed in us. And our present sufferings, Paul says, they're not even worthy. They're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The best is yet to come. You can't miss it. And then even Jesus, in this world you will have trouble, but don't lose heart. I've overcome the world. In me you can find peace. Your life will be restored. Grief will be overrun by joy. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. The best is yet to come. There is. This is the hope. I'm I'm talking about hope. I'm talking about expectancy. I look back through my notes and God has been plowing up the soil of my heart to plant this theme for the last seven, eight years. Are you expectant? I mean, what is it that makes one person open to God and the next person close? What what gives Julie the eyes to see what God is doing while Joe is blind? Why does Sam keep running into divine appointments with God while Sally has nothing to share? It's, it's not gender. It's not religion. It isn't culture or how well you have it all together. Sometimes it seems like the least likely to be godly have the most God encounters. I think it's expectancy. See, expectancy goes beyond knowing about God or even trusting God with my life. Expectancy is faith on tiptoe. It's the wide-eyed smile of a little kid waiting to come down the stairs on Christmas morning. It's more than a belief that God can do something. It's the anticipation that he will do something. No, even deeper, it's the confident hope that right now... He's doing more than I can imagine. Right now, in this moment, this is hope, and this kind of hope is contagious. Listen, without hope, 
we might pray for more, we might ask God for more, but we don't really prepare for more. So what does it look like for you to walk through these next 40 plus days preparing for more? I don't know. I I think at a minimum, we have to pause and ponder, ask the question, where is my hope? What or who am I hoping in? Am I hoping in my job, in my family, in my abilities, in my resources? So often when my hope is in me and mine, it doesn't really prepare us for more. It prepares us for disappointment. Where's your hope? What is your hope in? Is it a hope that will prepare you for more, even in times of uncertainty and trouble? It was just four days before her 17th birthday, her father's birthday also, but this year there would be no party. America was gripped by the Great Depression and her dad was dying. Instead of preparing for a party, they were praying for their father and husband. The kids knelt around the bed while their mother prayed, but the 17-year-old girl wondered if anyone was listening. On the day of the funeral, the family made their way to a simple grave. A small crowd of women met them there. The men couldn't afford the time off work. The 17-year-old girl who worked as a maid had to borrow a dress for the funeral. And when they went home, she carefully folded it smooth and laid it next to her bed. Dark despair, dark despair seemed to crush her. It was is over. Not just the funeral, but everything was over. Single mom, family of eight, no real income. The house so heavily mortgaged, it would not be theirs for long. She wasn't blind to reality. The silence of the room choked her hope, and and then she heard it. Breaking the hope-choked silence came the soft whisk, whisk of a broom on the kitchen floor. The sound came again, more forceful this time. Whisk, whisk. Her mother, who had been silent for three days, had gone into the kitchen, picked up her broom, and begun to sweep. The sound of the broom said more than her mother could voice. Life goes on. All is not lost. We've trusted in the Lord, and still we will. We will press on and live again. I cannot explain how that action and the soft sound of the broom gave me the courage to go on. Later in her diary, this girl would write those words. My mother was now the head of the house and we followed. Our home was mortgaged. My father's lawyer stole her property. She walked out of his office, a penniless widow with seven children, ages eight to 18. Later, someone asked my mother how she made it. Her answer answer was simple. She said, I prayed. So, so here's, here's what we do to prepare for hope. We pick up a broom and we pray. Elizabeth Elliot was that young girl. She picked up a broom and she prayed and God did amazing things in her life. What is that? It just means do the next thing. Do the right thing, the thing you know to do and pray. Sweep like life depends on your action and pray like you know we need more. Pick up your broom and pray. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for each and every person who has gone through suffering, is going through suffering, or one day will go through suffering. That's all of us. God, I pray for an outpouring of your grace, an outpouring of your spirit. I pray that we would take to heart the words, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God, I don't want any of us to lose heart. I don't want any single person listening to the sound of my voice to lose heart. And so I pray, God, with all my heart, 
Would you pour your grace? Would you pour your love? Would you pour your heart out upon each and every person listening? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.